reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 5. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and make music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Recently on one of our uh, church's social media posts, uh, we just posted the phrase, uh, what could we pray for you about? and gave people the opportunity in the comments, they could put whatever they wanted to and commit to pray for them. And near the end of it, and I didn't know the guy, uh, he commented, pray for the rapture because we've suffered enough. <laughs> and I don't know him, I don't know what he meant by that. I don't know what his experience is with life and what's going on in his life, so I don't wanna make too much comment about him, but I'll comment about the thing he said. It seems more and more to me these days that that kind of idea that Everything's got to a point that we just can't take anymore, that it's just bad, Ed. Have you not noticed how bad it is, Ed? People are getting worse, and kids are out of control, and the country's out of control, and we're going to lose our country, both parties think. We're going to lose it if you don't do what we want them to. If you don't do what we say, we're going to lose our country. And so everybody's got to get together because it's just bad. Everything's bad. The days are evil. In fact, that little phrase that how bad things are is one of the calls people have made to do things that we wouldn't normally do. I know, I know that normally we should love people and normally we should work to get along, but it's time to take a stand. It's time to do something because things are so bad we have to do things differently than we've always done. Well, I thought about that in that comment as I was preparing for this message because I I'm guessing you noticed that last week, Nathan quoted a little bit of this part of, that we read today, and then we read it again today, and the Apostle Paul uses that phrase. The days are evil. And what he says to us, because the days are evil, it presents us an opportunity. There's an opportunity that comes about because the days are evil, and you shouldn't miss the opportunity that you have because the days are so evil. So if you're here and you're like everybody else I talk to and you think the days are so evil and something's got to change and we've got to do something different, we got something for you today. Because that's what Paul is talking about in this letter to Ephesians. So welcome, my name's Ed, I'm one of the teachers here, and I'm so glad you came and I'm really trusting that you'll be open to what God might have to say because believe it or not, God isn't as terrorized by the days or evil as it seems everybody else is. And Paul, when he says, make the most of the opportunity, almost everything he says isn't about taking some kind of overt kind of stand. In fact, before I get to that, I need to make sure everybody in here is on the same page. So I don't want you to just take those words out of context like people often do in the middle of these little letters that get written in the New Testament. Let me catch you up where we are. Paul says to the Ephesian church, you're the dearly loved of God and you've been chosen. You're part of his body and you haven't been chosen because God looked around for the good people. God instead just chose you, not because you're good, because he's good. God's just so good that he looked out at people and in his grace, he said, 
Come on, you can be a part of my family. You can be a part of my kingdom. You can make a difference in this. And he just offered us grace. And when we come into that kingdom, we begin to experience a community that's unlike any other community that humanity's ever known. And that community is we receive love, not that we have to give love first. We receive love from God, and then that love flows out of us to everybody else. Barriers that keep human beings separate, like ethnic barriers and political barriers and gender barriers, the walls come down in this community, and everybody begins to move toward each other. God forms a unity from many different identities into one new people through which he'll show his wisdom to the world. And here's the new identity that we get to be a part of. We are in Christ. That's who we are. We are in him. We found our life in him. We find our hope in him. And because we are in Christ, we give witness to the fact that we are different in every way to the culture around us. We think different. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. We don't look at things and automatically react like everybody else. In fact, we have different thoughts, which lead us, as Jason taught us a couple of weeks ago, we don't talk to people the way everybody else talks. And then last week we learned we don't treat our bodies or anybody else's bodies the way people in our culture t tell us. Because we're children of our most high father. And we follow him. And then at some point, Paul has like this little phrase that we looked at last week. It's like some of you have in your home where you have, in this family, we do X, Y, Z. And Paul says, in our family, there is no hint of immorality. We aren't caught in greed like the rest of the culture. In our, in our family, there's no impurity, no immorality, no greed. And Nathan pointed out so well to us last week, Paul's just saying in God's new community, it's not attractive to us to be a part of a community where people hold grudges and anger flows out of us and we use other people for our own ends. Revenge doesn't attract us anymore. Holding on to things that have happened to us in the past, they're not attractive to us. Instead, we live like our Father who freely gives. We don't believe other people's bodies are to be used for our gratification. We are very careful how we live. Not because we're afraid, but, but we're chosen. We're part of the family. We know the days are evil and the evil ones at work, so we build rhythms and practices right into our life. We sing to each other in songs so that we can remind each other of how great God is. We praise him at every point. We don't live in the drunken, out-of-control spirit of our world that runs after all the things that are around them. We sing truth and praise, and we remind each other the truth, and we give thanks, God, to every moment for what he's done for us. And then Paul mentions something that this is going to be hard for you. So are you ready for hard? This one strikes right at the core of Americans. Me too. Paul ends it, if you didn't notice, at the end of this family talk, and it's going to be our subject because he fleshes it out over the next few weeks. He says, out of reverence for God, we submit to each other. We submit to each other. We submit to one another. Now, that may not sound very, like very much until we begin to really think it through. I mean, this one... It blows a hole in, in Western, particularly, culture of the USA. 
I mean, believe, I believe the highest value, if I were to ask people what's the highest value that you really have in the United States, I know I've had this said to me from people around the world, it's that we value independence over everything and self-sufficiency. We want to be independent, make our own decisions. We want to be self-sufficient. We don't need anything. If I get a group of parents together and we sit down and, you know, I'm old, and I sit with a group of young parents and I try to help them figure out how you're going to raise your kids. And we're just talking about it. I say, so what's your goal? What's your goal for parenting? What do, you, what do you want to accomplish in your parenting? Some form of this statement comes out of everybody. Well, I want to raise, I want to raise kids that are strong and independent and being able to meet everything that life will throw at them on their own. Well, it sounds so right. I'm pretty sure I had some goal exactly like that. I mean, one of the social fears that you have out of a parent is if a parent has to say, to, in fact, we created sort of a meme in our mind about it, that there's the parent that has the 40-year-old living in their basement and they can't get rid of them. You know what I'm talking about? It's like one of the shames of our society that you'd have to say, I have a son that I have to take care of. He still take, he lives with me. But it's not just parents. If I get a group of people who are approaching old age, and I use that intentionally because apparently nobody gets there in our country. You never get to old age. Every time I say to anybody I'm old, they go, oh, you're in the prime of life, as if they know somebody that's 126. There's no one, there's no one double my age. I mean, when you're with a group of old people and you say, so what do you want to have true about you as you go into old age? Well, I... I want to live independently. I want to be able to take care of myself. I don't want to be dependent on anybody else. I for sure don't want my kids to feel like they have to help me. I get it. It sounds so right. We want to be strong, loving, capable, independent people who are willing to give and help anybody else. We just don't want to ever have to get no help. We want to help people. We just don't ever want to have to receive it. And it feels so right for us to have to be that way. And so I know this last statement that I have to talk to you about in the family value list of we submit to one another, that spirit-filled, chosen children of God submit themselves to each other this one's going to be a little bit for you to get your mind around. To live this way in our culture is going to require enormous amounts of humility on our part, and it just feels unnatural, and you're going to want to snap back to something else all the time. Submitting feels personally restricting, and it's going to, it's going to feel like you're losing freedom. Many of you know who've heard me teach for a long time know how much appreciation I have for 12-step programs and how much I've benefited personally and how much freedom I've seen me and other friends find through these programs. And what's so amazing about the experience in 12-step programs is that everybody who's gone through it and has helped them in their life find that whatever substance, whatever behavior, whatever... <laughs> Whatever relational thing you can't let go of, if you want to find freedom, the first step to finding freedom is you to finally get to the point and say, I can't do it. 
If I'm ever going to find freedom for whatever is keeping me from finding the freedom that I need, I have to get to the place that I admit I am not strong and independent. I cannot do this on my own. I am not capable. I am not able. So I submit my life and my will to God. I submit to him. And what people find in submitting their life and will to God is that it, God doesn't just end it there. God takes us from just submitting to him, that we submit to a community that helps put rhythms and patterns in our life that reinforce. I submit to the community and the way that I'm living, and I submit to my sponsor. I submit to a group of fellow strugglers, and what everybody who goes through it and does it wisely gets to the end. And what, it's the great irony of life that the freedom I wanted to find, I found when I gave up my freedom. When I decide that I can't do it and I will submit to this way, the freedom I wanted is at the other end of that. And what we don't know often in the program because, well, maybe nobody told us is the reason you find freedom is because you finally stepped into the kingdom of God in a little bit. It's the upside down way of Jesus. That when I give myself up, when I empty myself, I find fulfillment. When I pour everything I have out, I don't have to fill you up. I just have to give everything I have. Fulfillment comes to me. When I admit how weak I am, I finally know God is strong and is willing to share it with me. When I'm willing to look around and I serve other people, I find greatness of spirit. In sacrifice, I find joy. And in dying to me, I find life. The life I wanted. But all of that starts with submitting. And that's where we find freedom. None of us choose submission as our natural posture, which is why Paul says that it's evidence of God's Spirit at work in us, which is why the next two weeks we're going to break down Paul's specific teachings about how to submit in marriage, in parenting, and our work lives. Because there's something incredibly powerful when two people, or a whole family, or a community are committed to a life of submission. When everyone has the mindset of submitting to one another, it can be a little complicated and messy, but it creates this tension that actually ends up bringing a lot of strength and stability to life, which may be why this is such a rare thing in our culture. This is one of those commands from scripture that is wildly overlooked or seen as not being practical. So we tend to go to what feels natural, which is independence or codependency, where one party takes on the load of both to the destruction of both, which may be why we don't have pictures of submission in our culture. We see unhealthy independence in the lone cowboy or the superhero rolling into town to solve the problem on his own. And we see codependence in nearly every romance film where each partner can't live without you in my life. Neither of those are helpful or healthy. But where do we see the tension of mutual submission? Well, think about it like this. When you look at a suspension bridge, you're seeing a powerful structure that is held together by tension. 
two sides being bridged by the tension that is shared amongst the cables that provide the strength and stability of the bridge. For this to work, engineers carefully have to calculate the right amount of tension to spread out among all the cables. If all the tension was on one side, then the bridge would collapse. If the cables didn't share the tension, then the stability of the bridge would be weakened. But the engineers are focused on the mission. They want to connect the two sides to one another, and they want it to be strong, and they want it to be stable, and so they use tension to create strength. And when you have each side in tension, you have shared tension amongst these cables. It actually provides something that is more strong and stable than building one big and strong cable to carry the weight on its own. And if one cable determined that they no longer wanted to submit to the overall bridge, then the structure wouldn't be stable. If one side of the bridge tried to take on too much weight, then the bridge would give way. And this is how God intended our relationships to be. This is the tension of submission in our relationships. When we share the tension with one another, when everyone is focused on helping one another and laying down our lives for one another, it actually creates this bridge that connects us with a lot of strength and stability. But it has to be shared. It has to be both ways. As soon as one person starts taking on too much or another person doesn't want to ask for help, or we start becoming independent again, it starts to fall apart. It's the shared tension. It's the shared submission that creates this dynamic of strength that connects people in the kingdom. I know for a lot of us, when we start to talk about a topic like this, it probably pulls a little bit of fear out of us. Because we're always afraid with this idea of submission that, what if I do it and it's not mutual? Like, what if I submit to another person, but they don't? What if I'm taken advantage of by them? What if I don't ever get what, what I really want out of the relationship? What, what if I give them grace and they just don't change? See, this is why Paul reminds us in this verse by putting that last phrase in there. So we don't do this for any other reason except out of reverence for Jesus. We don't submit because people deserve it. We don't submit because it will change them. And we don't submit because they will do the same for us. We submit because it has already been done for us in Christ. So before we move on, we're going to pause. We're going to reflect on this for just a moment. And we're going to really look deep into our own hearts at what is it that keeps us from submitting to one another. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're comfortable doing this, would you just right now go ahead and bow your head with me? Close your eyes, and would you just bring to mind a relationship, a situation, something in your life where you are holding tightly to control instead of submitting? If you can't identify what that might be, here's some questions to ask. What's a conflict? What's an issue? What's an argument that you just keep finding yourself having again and again and again, what is something about another person that you're trying to fix or you keep trying to change? Spend a few seconds and you bring that to your mind. And now while you're holding that in your mind, 
I want to challenge you. Would you take your hand and just make a fist and just start squeezing as tight as you can? And with your fist, squeeze tight. I want you to tell God what it is that you want to happen in that relationship or in that situation. Do that now. And I want you to keep squeezing that fist and I want to give you a moment. I want you to ask God to help you see. Say, God, what would it look like for me to submit to that situation or to that person in a way that would honor him and that other person? You ask him that right now. I want you to keep squeezing that fist and I want you to say to God, God, I submit. When you do, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I will no longer try to control that person. I will no longer control that situation. I will trust that you will protect and provide for me all that I need. Say that to God right now. right now, I want you to start opening your hand very slowly. And as you're doing that, I want you to imagine Jesus on the cross laying down his life for you. Imagine following his example to love other people. And as you open your hand, I want you to notice it was kind of uncomfortable, wasn't it? In fact, it might have been a little bit difficult for you to do it first. But eventually, as your hand stretches out, you start to feel relief, right? You start to feel some peace. This is what the tension of submission feels like. When we are willing to let go of our need to control and to get our way in order to honor Jesus and the people that he's placed in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, submitting ourselves to others and submitting ourselves to you, we, we admit it, it, it's fearful sometimes. It's a scary experience. And we so often want to cling to control when what it really is that we long for is we just want to cling to you. It's what we need. So God, we need you. We need you to teach us to let go of our desire to control the outcomes, control other people. And instead, we need you to teach us to lovingly submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Jesus who has shown us what submission looks like through the cross. So we pray that prayer in his name. Amen. So I want you to hold on to that idea of tension and submission. I think one of the reasons we have a hard time with this whole idea of submitting is immediately when I say submitting to many, many of you, the thought you have is obedience. That what, you're, what we're talking about is mutual obedience. But when you read verse 21, I just want you to be clear, it's not it's not obey one another. It's submit to one another. And submit and obey don't mean the same thing. Uh, and to get at this, I'll, I'll just take you to what the Greek word that Paul uses. Paul uses a, a Greek word, and he uses it intentionally in the middle voice. And what I mean by the middle voice is when he uses it that way, it means it's not something done to you, it's something you choose to do. So 
We tend to think about submission of, I am, I'm made to submit. I'm put in submission. But in the middle voice, it's, I'm making a choice to, to choose to submit to someone. I, I'll tell you this story. It's one of those stories I've told you about before that I don't know if it's true or not, but enough people have told it. I'm going to tell it's like it's true. Uh, there's a story of a little girl who stands up in her chair and at the dinner table, and her mom says to her, hey, sit down. Sit, sit down on your bottom. Sit, sit down. And the little girl sits down, and when the mom turns around to go do something else, the little girl stands back up, and she says, I said sit down. And the little girl sits down. And when the mom turns back around, the little girl stands back up. And when the mom looks at her the next time, she picks her up out of the chair and sits her down and puts her hand on her shoulder and says, now I said, sit down. And the little girl's a soft spirit, and so she begins to cry, and she, she can't control herself. And eventually, when she can get her words back, she says, Mama, I, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I am standing up on the inside. <laughs> and there's something in us, there's something in us we, that always brings a laugh, and the part of the laugh is we, we know that's us. And there's something in us that makes us want to say, Yeah! You can't push me down. I'm standing up. But I heard someone talk about the difference between submission and obedience. See, obedience is sitting down on the outside. You can't tell what's happening on the inside of me. I'm just doing what you told me to do. Submission is, I'm sitting down inside and out. You ask me to sit down, I submit to your will. And inside, because I chose, I'm sitting down inside and out. And that's what Paul's getting at in this mutual submission. It's unforced. The minute someone has this kind of submission that we tend to think of, it's not submission, it's subservient. I'm putting somebody subservient to me. They have to do what I say. And what you're really seeing is just somebody making someone obey. But Christian submission is something I choose. You aren't giving up your personal power. You're taking your personal power and you're putting it underneath control of someone else. You're taking it first and you're giving it to Jesus. I take my personal power and I admit I need to be under the control of Jesus. See, Christian submission and UFC submission are not the same thing. It's not about somebody beating you until you tap out. It's Jesus loving you and showing you that he's right about everything. And so you willingly choose, I submit my will and my power to him. I place myself under his care for my good. And part of the tension that Jesus asks from us as his body is that we then submit to one another. We hold that tension of every cord carrying its load, that everybody submits to one another, that we build the body of Christ. It's where one person and another person, we walk in submission to each other. And of course, part of the tension around that is to American ears, that don't even make no sense, Ed. I mean, how do, how do two people mutually submit to each other? I mean, all the, 
I mean, when I say that, everybody who's in charge gets real uncomfortable. Everybody who thinks they're in charge at home, I don't want to say who they are, because y'all might not be agreeing who I think ought to be in charge. But whoever thinks they're in charge thinks, okay, how's this going to work? I mean, how do a mom and her daughter ever submit to one another? How do a parent and a child ever submit? How does a boss and the people who work for him ever mutually submit to each other? How is it that a sergeant and a private ever submit and work together? I mean, it's just getting rid of authority, isn't it? But I would make the point, there are a lot of places where Paul upholds the level of authority, that certain people have authority. He's not negating authority. There's a lot of scripture that talks about people being in authority and having the right of authority. I think what Paul is talking about is he's asking us to look at how we tend to treat people who have authority. And what I mean by that is, you know how when you go into a place and you can't get what you want and you say, can I see somebody in authority? And when you see them at first, you have a little bit of deference. You have a little bit of thought of, oh, they're in charge. I want to find out who's in charge. I just want to know who's in charge. I'd just like to know who's in charge, sir. And when you find them, you treat them different than you think that somebody's not in charge. What Paul is suggesting is you treat everybody that way. You just look at everybody that way. That when you walk into a situation, you treat everybody with the same deference that you would treat the one that you thought had authority. And I get when, again, I, I talk about it, it treats, it, it just creates this tension. And what I want you to imagine is the picture, again, of that suspension bridge, the strength of the relationship that could be created if everybody would walk in this tension being shared. Tension on both sides of mutually submitting to each other where everybody's carrying their load and helping each other carry the load. It keeps us connected. And if when I say that, you look at it and you, you're in a position of authority and you say, that didn't make any sense to me. You can't put yourself under authority of somebody that you should be over. I mean, like if you're the boss and you think, I can't ever put myself under the authority of somebody who works for me, here, I'll tell you something that the people who work for you won't tell you. You are a miserable person to work for. That's not the way anybody wants anybody to see each other. And it is certainly not the way that we as followers of Christ are called to treat one another. Cheryl Batchelor, I can't say her name right, Cheryl Batchelor, who is the CEO or was the CEO of Popeyes for years. She took Popeyes from being a small regional brand to a superior brand in our country. She wrote a book called Dare to Serve, How to Drive Superior Results by Serving the People that you lead. And in the middle of the book, you find out that she's actually a, a committed Christian. And she writes, she says, I actually live every day with these words that are printed in my office. By the way, these words are written by the same guy who wrote Mutually Submit. They're written by Paul. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, considers others more significant than yourself. She said, I just try to lead every single day with that in mind. That every person I lead is more significant than me. I try to put them ahead of myself. Now, I know it's hard to think about submission that way because position and authority 
They have such a high priority in our world. Who's in charge? And we got to get the right people in charge. I just make the point to you. It was even more so in Paul's day where everything was in this stratified kind of, I mean, you even got it treated differently. If you had two people under you or a thousand people under you, everybody was in this stratified kind of thing where, so example, I mean, if you were at the bottom, you only got the crap jobs. And it wasn't like that guy who has his show that walks around and talks about dirty jobs. You only got the dirty jobs and nobody glorified it. So if you were like the bottom servant, everywhere you went, you had to wash somebody's feet. I mean, everywhere you went, if you were the lowest one, you had to wash their feet and it's a job nobody wanted. But some of you who've been Christians a long time know our Savior, Jesus, our Master, he set the example for us and washed feet. That's what he did. On the night he would be arrested, knowing that he was going to give his life for all humankind, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. No one made him do it. He wasn't forced into that position. He wasn't obeying a command or complying with an order. He was placing himself under. He's modeling the very definition of the word submission. The highest is serving the least. The Creator is placing Himself under His creation. The one who possesses everything makes Himself nothing. The one who could use the world as a footstool is washing the feet of the world. Earlier that evening, before He washed the feet of His disciples, they had been in an argument over which one of them was the most important. This is actually the third time that we know of that they argued over this. They were always trying to determine the pecking order and fight over who was the most important or greatest or would get the seat of honor. They wanted to be in charge. But years later, one of these disciples, John, wrote about this and said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What John is pointing out is that Jesus knew that no one was more powerful than him. He knew that the Father had put everything under his power. No one had more positional authority on this planet than he did. He didn't have to argue about it, but what does he do with his authority? He places himself under others. In our world, where the highest value is independence and strength, we want to be on top and stay at the top, and we'll shove whoever we have to down to get there. In our world, we don't want to give an inch. We fight for our rights. We make sure to get our way. We don't submit. But Jesus, knowing that he had everything placed under his power, didn't insist on someone else washing his feet. He submitted. And think about who Jesus places himself under. Jesus is washing the feet of Peter, who would deny him, of Judas, who would betray him, and of the other disciples who would abandon him. It doesn't seem that hard to submit to someone that we want to respect and honor, someone who has blessed us. How do I put myself under the person that I disagree with? Like a neighbor who's been rude, a spouse who has been selfish, a sibling who's been indifferent, a child who's been demanding, a boss who's been unfair, an employee who's been high maintenance, a parent who has been critical, or in-laws who always treated you like an outsider. How do I submit to people like this? What if they take advantage of me? What if I put myself in a vulnerable position? Or what if I just don't like them? What if it's someone who in the darkest, ugliest parts of my being, I would say is beneath me? How do I submit to them? How do I choose to put myself under those who I think are beneath me? 
just like Jesus, who was higher than all people, but chose to scrub the same feet of the disciple that would lead the soldiers to arrest him. This is the upside down way of Jesus. Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. When we humbly serve people who don't deserve it, we are following the way of our master. The verb for you should wash is not a one-time thing. It's describing an ongoing process, a way of life. It's the suspension bridge model where the tension has to constantly be kept for there to be strength, for us to have the connecting power that God wants us to have with one another. If, as a community of believers, we want to have the strength of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, if we want to display the wisdom of God through our community, it means that we're going to carry this tension where we submit to one another. If one person says, I'm out, I'm not doing it, then the whole bridge gets a bit weaker. But when everyone chooses this way of life, it is beautiful. This whole time I've been telling you how different this is from the culture of our world. But I should just say to you and remind you that anyone who lives out the values of Jesus will always be at odds with the culture of their world. We will always live opposed to the culture of our world. So if you're unsure where to start this, can I give you a few just small steps to take that you could stay, start this week? You could start with these words. I was wrong. Huh. I was wrong. You could say, I'm sorry, I, I should have listened to you. You could say, you know what? Your, air, your idea is better than mine. Let's do what you say. You can say, yeah, that was my fault. That was on me. You can say, hey, no, you keep your seat. Uh, I, I'll do that. You say, hey, you know what? I can tell this means a whole lot more to you than it does to me. So I don't know why we're arguing. Let's just do what you want to do. Submission probably won't mean washing dirty feet in our culture. It's going to look a lot different. It's going to look a lot, well, to some of us, it's going to look incredibly weak. It may mean you do the dishes. It might mean that you're quick to listen when you know the answer already and you just want to say it. Submission might look like listening to country music, though you really like music. <laughs> Submission might look like you, you help somebody else succeed by using their gifts and you don't get any credit. Nobody ever knows you did anything to support them. Submission is humbly leading when you just keep being disrespected. Submitting is understanding that everybody has a different perspective and we may all be wrong. Submitting means that even when you know you're right, you're still listening, you try to understand. Submitting is caring for somebody who deeply disagrees with you, and they may even oppose you. But you'll notice it's the key part of what Paul says for those of us who are followers of Jesus. In fact, I don't even know if you're not a follower of Jesus. I mean, you could take all of this in, and I think it'll help your relationships. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he says we do this out of reverence for Christ. We do this because we love Jesus. 
We do this out of reverence for him. My submission to other people is a reflection of whether or not I revere and love Jesus or not. And my refusal to submit, it's an illustration that there are large parts of me that I haven't submitted to him yet. And that I revere me more than I revere him. And so the challenge for us is, will I live in this tension? If you do, there will be times you get taken advantage of. I just need to say that. If you want to protect yourself from being taken advantage of, the way of Jesus is not for you. He died on a cross. And he told you to take up yours. So if getting taken advantage is a final out for you, this is going to be hard, but if we each agree in the body of Christ, at least in the body of Christ, if we agree to submit to one another, the stability of our relationships connecting to one another, give us the ability to go out and love our world where the days are evil. And there might be trouble, but we don't need to take a stand. We need to wash some feet. We need to love people. And the only way we'll have the strength to do that is out of reverence for Christ. We submit to each other and we love one another. And from that, we have the ability to draw other people to the community of Jesus. That's committed to one another. Which is why every week when we come together, we remind you, following the way of Jesus is not some private spirituality. It's not a belief system that you're allowed to just get into this relationship with God. I don't even know how you practice that without a community. I don't know how you submit to one another without a community. And so if you're here and you're just investigating our community, can I invite you? We would love to have you do this with us. So would you stop by the Next Step Center in the lobby and sign up to take your first step with uh, our community to become a part of doing this together as we follow Jesus? And if you stepped out of community for a while and you're not in a small group, you're not serving and you want to get back in, we would love for you to talk to us as well because the Spirit of God is always drawing us toward God and toward each other so we can love God and we can love each other. That's, Jesus said, everything. It's everything. So to give you some time to talk about that with God, I'm going to ask you to focus on this part while we receive the meal of communion. I hope you receive the elements as you came in. They're in these little containers. I don't have one. I forgot to bring one up with me. But they're right outside these doors. If you didn't get some, we'd love to have you take this meal with us. But I'm asking you not to take it yet. Now, you can be prepared to receive it, but I'm going to ask you just to take a moment and out of reverence for Jesus, ask if before you took this meal like he did before this meal, are you ready are you willing to submit yourself? Are you willing, out of reverence to him, to serve other people in love? And if you're not sure you believe all we do, it's okay. You don't have to fake like you do. You can let this part just pass by. And maybe you connect with God and ask him to help you take your next step. And so I'm going to give you about a minute or so uh, to have that conversation with God, and then you take communion during that minute sometime. And then our band's going to come and lead us 
It's a song that reminds us of how God's great love for us is shown to us in Jesus, and we commit to follow his example. So let's remember to get Jesus together right now.